Well, good evening, everybody. Good to see everybody out here tonight. Appreciate everybody uh, being out here. We've got a really interesting topic tonight that the Lord laid on my heart, and it's dealing with cursed objects. Cursed objects. I mean, it's the spring. Sometimes people are doing some spring cleaning as you're getting uh, the crumbs and the Cheez-Its from out of the uh, couch cushions and uh, collecting all your change from the couch cushions and maybe you're stripping and waxing the floors or cleaning out your refrigerator and getting stuff that's grown old moldy stuff on it and you know the uh, I saw a Facebook meme where it relabeled the uh, vegetable crisper as vegetable hospice <laughs> yeah so you know and maybe you're written one of those shampooers and shampooing those high traffic carpet areas and you're doing some spring cleaning as you're doing spring cleaning we need to do some spiritual spring cleaning and that may involve getting rid of some cursed objects maybe you don't even know you have cursed objects in your house but cursed objects uh, attract uh, curses. They attract demonic and uh, uh, entities from hell. Now, this the things that attract things. I guarantee you, if we're driving down the road and on one of these uh, telephone poles it says yard sale, my wife's going to look at me. Can we go? <laughs> that yard sale sign is going to attract. A particular kind of people you're gonna get housewives that's that that you know the money's burning a hole in their pocketbooks you got guys saying oh there might be some tools there I want to get me some tool so a yard sale sign is gonna attract a particular kind of people you know um, buy one get one free who doesn't like that you know that's that sign out in in a storefront is going to attract people well what is it do I have to buy to get another one free I could always use two of something so signs attract people. Now, if you go into an establishment, maybe they're selling a bunch of different things, uh, but yet they'll have certain name brands in the window. You know, Harley Davidson. We sell Harley Davidson clothing items here. We sell browning, hunting, and clothing items here. Well, those symbols and those signs are going to attract a certain type of people. Now, I'm, I guarantee you, if I'm going by an establishment, and I see a Batman symbol in the window, I'm gonna be like, oh, well, what's there? What's that? I like Batman, you know? Or if I see a Star Trek symbol, it's gonna attract me. Or if I see UFC, I'm going, oh, well, what do they got that's UFC? It's going to attract me. So certain symbols and certain things that you may have in your home are going to attract a certain kind of demonic entity, whether you know it or not, whether you realize it or not, whether you like it or not. People say, oh, well, that's just ridiculous. That's just, you know, you know, inanimate objects. And it no. Physical things attract spiritual entities. Guaranteed. So if you'll turn with me to Joshua. Joshua chapter 6. We'll start at Joshua chapter 6. The conquest of Jericho. Joshua chapter 6, starting with verse 15 says early on the seventh day they started at dawn and marched around the city seven times in the same way that was the only day they marched around the city seven times after the seventh time the priest blew the trumpets and Joshua said to the troops shout for the Lord has given you the city but the city and everything in it is set apart to the Lord for destruction okay 
every physical object, no matter how bright, no matter how shiny, no matter how attractive, no matter how much you like it, is to be destroyed. But we, we know the story. That's not the way it went down. The passage continues, and it says, Only Rahab the prostitute and everyone within her house will live because she hid the messengers we sent. But keep for, your, uh, but keep for yourselves from things set apart, or you will be set apart for destruction. Kind of like spiritual cooties. Remember in elementary school, the game of cooties? Somebody gets touched. Ah, he's got cooties. And they have to run around and touch somebody else so they can transfer the cooties off them onto somebody else. You know, spiritual cooties. You touch something that's destructive. You touch something that is destined for destruction by the Lord. Then the Lord's one going to get one to destroy you. You know that that transference of that destruction is going to be transferred to you. And this is exactly what's being said in the scriptures here. But keep yourself from the things set apart, or you will be set apart for destruction. If you take any of those things, you will set apart the camp of Israel for destruction. Not only are you in trouble if you take these objects that are meant for destruction, not only will you be destroyed, but you're going to cause all of Israel to be destroyed. Do you want that on your conscience? Do you want that on your, on your hands, on your head? Take any of those things, you, uh, you will set apart the camp of Israel for destruction and make trouble for it. For all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are dedicated to the Lord and must go into the Lord's treasury. So what happened? Everybody listened but one guy, Achan. Achan got an itching for some, for some goods. So we read in the next chapter, in uh, Joshua chapter 7, it says, The Israelites, however, were unfaithful regarding the things set apart for destruction. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of what was set apart, and the Lord's anger burned against the Israelites. You may think, nobody will ever know. God knows. Numbers chapter 32, 23 says, be sure that your sin will find you out. You may keep it from everybody else, but you're not going to be keeping it from God. And if you keep it from everybody else, it eventually is going to come out in the open to everybody else. Well, nobody's going to ever know if I look at this porn. And what happens? Something gets flagged in the system, and then the authorities are knocking on your door, and you're getting arrested for kitty porn. It's going to come out some way, somehow. Somebody's going to find out. And even if it's the run-of-the-mill pornography, your wife or significant other or somebody's going to find out. So if, you, if that happens, you're not just hurting yourself, but your sin is hurting everybody else around you, everybody else you know. And especially if it happens in a congregation or in a Christian community or in a church or synagogue, if you have one guy that's in authority, or has some clout and, and he's sinning and sinning in private, things, bad things are going to be happening in that church, in that congregation, I guarantee it, until it comes out in the open, until it comes out in the wash, and it is repentant of and taken care of, it's going to destroy the community. And this is exactly what happened to Israel. The Israelites, however, were unfaithful regarding the things set apart for destruction. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of what was set apart and the Lord's anger burned against the Israelites. 
Why would it burn against the Israelites? It was Achan. None of the Israelites did anything wrong. That's because we're a part of a community and what I do affects you. How would you feel if I, you, you saw in the paper that I got arrested for DUI? How would that make you feel? Would, that ha would, would, would you still have any trust or confidence in me? Something like that happened? My sin of drunkenness would not just affect me, it would affect everybody connected with me. So whatever you do is going to, to uh, be connected to the body of Christ. So that's why when one Christian does something bad, all Christians get blamed for it. You have one TV preacher fall, oh, they're all the same. All Christians get a black eye if one TV preacher commits adultery, steals money, whatever. It gives everybody else a bad name because they lump us all in together, whether we're the same or not. Whether you like it or not, that's just the way it is. So it says, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, set uh, east of Bethel and told them, go up and scout the land. So the men went up and scouted after uh, scouted. And after returning to Joshua, they reported to him, ah, don't send all the people, but send about 2,000 or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since the people of Ai are so few, don't wear out all the people there. Ai was just a podunk, tiny little outpost that should have easily been taken over by 2,000, 3,000 soldiers. But of course, we know that that's not the way it's going to go down because Achan stole some stuff in Jericho he shouldn't have stole. And as a result, God had a vendetta against Israel, and Israel was going to pay until this sin was brought out in the open. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of them and chased them from outside, uh, from outside the city gate to the quarries, striking them down on the descent. And as a result, the people lost heart. Israel had to had to tuck and run with their tail between their legs because they got the crap beat out of them by little tiny itty bitty AI, which a couple thousand men should have easily took. Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening, as did the elders of Israel. They all put dust on their heads, which tearing your clothes and putting dust on your head was a sign of remorse, a sign of mourning, a sign of repentance, a sign of sorrow and grief says, oh, Lord God, Joshua said, why did you ever bring these people across the Jordan to hand us over to the Amorites for our destruction? If only we had been content to remain on the other side of the Jordan. What can I say, Lord, now that all Israel has turned its back and run from its enemies? When the Canaanites and all who live in the land hear about this, they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. Then what will you do? about your great name. The Lord then said to Joshua, stand up. Why have you fallen face down? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant. They, 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 Israel, Israel. Uh, God, aren't you making a mistake here? It's only one dude. Only one guy. Yeah. One guy has a ripple effect on everybody else. One guy's sin affects the whole. You know, you think of a drunk driver. Well, my drunkenness isn't hurting anybody but myself. And the guy gets in an accident and, and, and kills somebody. Not only is he affected, his family's affected, they're embarrassed, and they're, they're in heartache because their loved one killed somebody else, a vehicular homicide because of drunkenness. 
And then that family who lost a loved one in that car, they're affected. It hits the news. It hits the whole neighborhood. It's a ripple effect. One act is like a ripple in a pond, and it just keeps going and going and going. This is what happened to Achan. So because of Achan, the Lord then said to Joshua, stand up. Why have you fallen face down? Israel has sinned. Another good example is the exiles of Daniel and of Ezra. They were in Babylonian captivity. And in Ezra chapter 9 and Daniel chapter 9, Ezra and Daniel are praying for repentance and forgiveness for the sin of Israel that caused them to go into exile. Now, we know that Ezra and Daniel were righteous guys. They didn't do anything wrong, but yet they were in exile just like the rest of Israel. So when they prayed, they didn't say, well, Lord, forgive these, forgive these slackers. Forgive these nut jobs. I'm even ashamed to be called part of this people because these guys, they really screwed up. No, they said, we have sinned. We have acted shamefully. We have did this. We have broken your covenant. We have broken faith. They included themselves in Israel's sin, though they, did, they themselves didn't do it. So that just shows that we are a part of a community. We're all a part of each other. So it says, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant that I appointed to them. They have taken some of what was set apart, and they have stolen, deceived, and put those things in their own belongings. This is why Israel cannot stand against their enemies. They will turn their backs and run from their enemies because they have been set apart for destruction. I will no longer be with you unless you remove from among you what is set apart. The Lord will leave your house just like he left the temple. God will leave your family and you will be open for demonic attack and open for destruction if you do not get cursed things out of your house. Verse 13, go and consecrate the people and tell them to consecrate themselves for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. There are things that are set apart among you, Israel. You will not be able to stand against your enemies until you remove what is set apart. Huh, gee, I wonder why Christendom is not taken over the nation by storm. Because there's sin in the camp. Because there's wokeism in the church. Because there's gay, quote-unquote, ministers and pastors standing behind the pulpit. Because they're winking and turning a blind eye to promiscuity, fornication, adultery, and sexual immorality. Because they are deeming right what the Bible deems is wrong. That's why the church is in the position that we are now. Lost my place. Well, that's what I get for going on a tangent. That's what I get for ranting. Ugh. Okay, here we go. So it says, go and consecrate the people. Tell them to consecrate themselves for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. There are things that are set apart among you, Israel. You will not be able to stand against your enemy until you remove what is set apart. In the morning, present yourself tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord selects is to come forward clan by clan. The, Lord, the clan the Lord selects is to come forward family by family. The family the Lord selects is to come forward man by man. We're talking about a process of elimination. Right now, all it's as if all Israel has sinned. But they're going to be uh, brought tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family, man by man. It's a process of elimination. The one who is caught with a thing set apart must be burned, along with everything he has, because he has violated the Lord's covenant and committed an outrage in Israel. 
Joshua got up early the next morning. He had Israel come forward tribe by tribe. Now, Achan knows he's guilty. Achan knows he sinned. Could you imagine the anxiety going through Achan right now? Because it's starting out tribe by tribe. He knows eventually the tribe of Judah is going to be picked. He knows. He knows he's eventually going to be caught. Why not just come out right then and there and say, oh, let's just forget about it. I'm guilty. I did it. But no, he's biting his nails. There's butterflies in his stomach. There's bile in his throat. He's about to throw up. You know, because it's just a matter of time before it comes down to Achan. It's just a matter of time before he gets picked. And we know that's exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> uh, see, sin hurts. Sin hurts everybody. All right. <laughs> okay. So Joshua got up the next morning. He had Israel come forward tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Judah was selected. He had clans of Judah come forward, and the Zerite clan was selected. He had the Zerite clan come forward, and the heads of the families, and Zabdi was selected. He then had Zabdi's family come forward by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was selected. So Joshua said to Achan, my son, Give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and make a confession to him. I urge you, tell me what you have done. Don't hide anything from me. Yeah, don't hide anything, because if you do, it's going to come out anyway. Achan replied to Joshua, It's true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I did. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Babylon, five pounds of silver and a bar of gold weighing about a pound and a quarter. I coveted them and I took them. You can see for yourself, they are concealed in the ground inside my tent with the silver under the cloak. So Joshua sent messengers who ran to the tent and there was the cloak concealed in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from inside the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and they spread them out in the Lord's presence. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, son of Zerai, the silver, the cloak, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his aunt. Wait a second. When you are the head of your household, everything you do falls on your wife and on your kids. Like it or not, that's the way it is. So men of the home, priests of the home, men of God, straighten up your act. Clean your house. Make sure your life is clean and pure because if you're sin and you're sinning in secret, it's eventually going to come out and it's not just going to affect you. It's going to affect your wife and it's going to affect your children negatively. Did not God say, don't take anything. Don't touch anything. It's banned for destruction. If you touch it, you get the spiritual cooties. You get destroyed too. God's, God is a God of truth. He's a God of his word. Then Joshua and all of Israel uh, with, with him took Achan, the son of Zerai, the silver, the cloak, and the bar of gold, his sons and his daughters, his ox, donkey, sheep, his tent, and all that he had and brought them up to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought us trouble? Kind of like in school, you got the class clown, always wants to laugh, never shuts up. And because of his antics, everybody has to stay in for recess. <laughs> 
Right? That's kind of the way, that's kind of the way it is. And then everybody gets mad at this dude. Why do you have to be such a douche? We all have to miss recess because of you. Right? And so Israel's like, we got, we just got our butt kicks at AI because of you. Those 36 men or those 30 some men who lost their lives, the blood's on your hands. It's your fault, Aiken, because of what you did. Why have you brought us this trouble? Today the Lord will bring you trouble. So all Israel stoned them to death. They burned their bodies, threw stones on them, and raised over him a large pile of rocks that remains still today. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, the place is called the Valley of Achor, still to this day. So I want to focus on verses 7 through 12 in Joshua chapter 7 that we just read. 11 and 12, it says, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant that I appointed for them. They have taken some of what was set apart. They have stolen, deceived, and put those things within their own belongings. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They will turn their backs and run from their enemies because they have been set apart for destruction. I will no longer be with you unless you remove from among you what is set apart. When you bring a cursed item into your home that sets a legal precedent for the demonic realm that's like an invitation to come right on in you know the old legend that a vampire can't cross your threshold unless you invite him in right and once you invite him in it doesn't matter if you have garlic or a crucifix it's not going to work because you invited him you gave him legal precedence well it's the same with the demonic entity if you bring something, a cursed object, into your house, an object that specifically attracts these demonic entities, you are giving them legal permission to come into your house. I can't tell you how many times as a minister that people have come to me, well, we think that there's demons in our house, and we think that our house is haunted, and things are moving by themselves, and this is happening, and our bed is shaking, and this is, and this is going on. Nine times out of ten, they have something in their house that shouldn't be there. They have something in their house that gave permission to that demonic entity to start harassing them. It's like an open door, like an open portal for that demonic entity to come in. And so a lot of times that's what happens. And if they don't have an object, usually there's some sort of sin in their life that gave permission for these demonic entities to enter. Now, I've told this story before, but when I was working at the superstore, the Lord told me to quit that job. And I'm like, Lord, that doesn't make sense. How am I going to make a living? How am I going to provide for my family? I want you to go into full-time ministry. I want you to teach and preach my, but Lord. I said, okay, Lord. So I went to, the, I went to my manager and I said, look, I got, I got to quit. Here's my two weeks. And he's like, oh man, we hate to lose you. Why don't you consider going down to a couple days? And I'm like, knowing better, knowing what the Lord told me. I said, oh, okay. I was thinking, you know, well, there'll be a little bit of income and at least I can help out a little bit. And I was making excuses to rebel against God because it seemed logical to me. Well, the first day back after I gave it my two week notice or my notice and, and agreed to work a couple days a week, I had the worst day of my life. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. Tripping, falling, dropping stuff, breaking stuff, stressed out to the hill. And I literally in that cooler screamed, God! Why is this happening to me? What are you doing? And he said quietly, says, hey, my hands are off. I can no longer bless you because you've stepped out from the umbrella of my protection because you have been disobedient. 
and you did what I told you not to do. I told you to quit that job. You didn't, and therefore, you have opened up the door for the demonic realm to come in and harass you because you've been a a disobedient to me. <laughs> the next day, I had to go to my manager. I said, look, I, I tried this. It's not going to work. I, I really got to call it quits. And th when I did that, the Lord started blessing me again. I was able to be back under the umbrella of his protection. Now, the Lord gave a specific command to Israel as they were conquering the promised land because they were conquering the Canaan land, which is full of the Canaanite tribes. So in verses uh, 1 through 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 7, it says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess, and he drives out many nations before you, the Hethites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and powerful than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them uh, over to you and you defeat them, you must completely destroy them. We're talking completely. We're talking scorched earth. Make no treaty with them and show no mercy. You must not intermarry with them. You must not give your daughter to their sons or take their daughters for your sons because they will turn your sons from the worship to other gods. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will swiftly destroy you. Instead, this is what you are to do to them. <laughs> this is what you're to do to them. Tear down their altars. Smash their sacred pillars. Cut their Asherah poles down and burn their carved images. Why? Because those were the things that were attracting demons. Those were the things that were bringing about the curses, was their altars, their sacred pillars, their Asherah poles, their carved images. They're like a sign in the window, you know, that says, buy one, get one free. It's like a sign on the telephone pole, yard sale. You know, it's, it's, it's like whatever you're attracted to, it's that sign. For you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possessions out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. So we're talking not only were, were their, um, all of their objects destroyed, all their religious objects destroyed because they bring curses, they invite demons, but all the people were wiped out, not just the men, but the women and children and all the animals. Why? That's, a little, that's genocide. That's a little harsh. No, it isn't, because you don't understand who the Canaanites were. The Canaanites had had sexual relations with the fallen angels and produced the giants, produced the Nephilim. And they were not a part of God's created order. They were outside of God's created order. They were not even completely human. Therefore, they were unredeemable. They were half human and half, half fallen angel, half demonic. And so they had to be completely wiped out because they brought curses upon the world. That's the whole reason the world was flooded in the first place because of this. Because this, not only that, but even they perverted the animals. That's where we get all these mythological creatures, you know, like the Minotaur and the Cenotaur, because these fallen angels even cohabitated with some of the animals and created these crazy hybrids. So everything of the Canaanite nation was destroyed because they weren't purely human. They were half demonic. Now, the whole thing changes when you go to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Deuteronomy chapter 20 gives uh, Israel instructions when, after they conquer the Canaanite nations, and if they spread further and conquer more places, people that are not Canaanites, 
In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 10 through 18, it basically says, okay, these people, if you go to war, first of all, you offer peace to them. And if they are willing to live peaceably with you and be in subjection to you, fine, spare them. If not, go to war with them, but only kill the men. You leave the women and children. They're innocent. And you can take spoils. You can take animals because these things aren't cursed because they're not Canaanite because they're not Nephilim. So we see a, two, a totally different uh, way of war of engagement depending on the people that they were uh, at war with. Now, many of you know that uh, in 2010 and 2011, I went to Nigeria to minister to the Ibu people, which are a portion of the lost tribe of Gad. Now, since then, I've been to a lot of Ibu conferences, and one of them was in Florida. It was a World Ibu Congress, and I was speaking at it, and um, there was this uh, Ibu bracelet. And I was like, oh, cool. If nobody claims it, I would like to have it. And my Ibu friend said, no, 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 don't even touch it. I'm like, what? Why? He says, you don't know whose that is, and you don't know what's on that thing. And I was like, wait, what are you talking about? And he talked about how objects, certain objects can be cursed by the owners because they're not living godly lives, because they're not worshiping the same God that I worship. And I never thought about that, but he was so cognizant about that bracelet possibly <laughs> carrying some sort of curse or have a demonic entity attached to it. He said, don't even touch it. Leave it alone. It'll find its owner or it'll disappear. You don't want nothing to do with it because you don't know where it came from. And that really shook me up. But he's right. He's exactly right. So objects created for a specific purpose or in honor of a specific deity or an activity or have been used in pagan or satanic rituals is a curse and is an open doorway for the demonic to enter your home. Now, what if, what if I took a Sharpie, went down into the janitorial closet and drew a pentagram? Maybe drew an upside down cross. What would I be doing to Harvest House? I would be cursing it. I would be creating an open portal, an open doorway, inviting the demonic. It's like a drunk seeing a neon sign that says Budweiser or Miller Time. They're like, oh, hey, I'm going to go and get one of those. A demonic entity sees one of these symbols. Hey, I'm welcome here. I'm invited here. I can come right on in and set up shop. One, one home that I dealt with, they were having some crazy activity going on. I went down in the basement and there was some satanic stuff scribbled on the basement wall. I said, this is why you're having this problem. Well, what do we do? Well, definitely, you know, sandblast it off and cover it up, paint over it. And then, you know, we'll pray and sanctify this place so this won't happen again. So it's like a Harley Davidson sign on an establishment will attract people who ride motorcycles. Or let's say a rainbow flag on an establishment. Who do you think that's going to invite into their store? Who's gonna feel welcome in the store when you see a rainbow flag on the door? It's going to attract a certain type of people, even in churches. Let's say you drive by a church and it says, King James only. Well, who do you think's gonna attend that church? People who are King James only. It's gonna attract a certain kind of people. Other people are gonna stay away from it. Well, I like other versions and they may pick on me, so I'm not gonna go to that church. So it's just like that. So what are we talking about? I mean, I'm talking about Buddha statues. Oh, well, they're just decorative. No, they're not decorative. Did you know that Buddhism is a religion? Uh, 
religious icons. That may sound strange to you, but you know, let's say it's the statue of Saint Mary, or the or a crucifix. That's innocent enough. Or maybe you know it's Saint Christopher or whatever. Why am I harshing on icons? It depends on how they're used. There's one thing of having religious decorative stuff. There's one thing having a crucifix on your wall as a decoration or just to honor Christ. Or my dad, one of the greatest gifts he got for his birthday was a little statue of Jesus uh, carrying his cross up to Calvary, and my dad just wept. But you know what my dad did with that? He set it on the mantle so everybody could see it. You know what he didn't do? He didn't light incense in front of it. He didn't go in front of it and pray to it. That's what brings the curse, is when you take that religious icon and you use it as a mode or form of worship because God says, there is no other gods before me. Do not bow down to idols. You have just made that thing an idol, and you have just put a curse on that thing, inviting demonic entities to come through that object to harass you. So you see the difference there? Ouija boards. <laughs> Parker Brothers sells them. How bad could that be? Ouija boards. I, I mean, we could probably all tell horror stories of Ouija boards and of messing around with them as a teenager. You don't have to have a Ouija board. You can even create your own. Just put the alphabet and yes and no on something, get a little piece of glass, and boom, you got a Ouija board. That is like a neon sign saying, hey, demons, we want to talk to you. Hey, demons, come here. We want your advice. Hey, we want to play. Oh, we're willing to play. Maybe I'm going to find a new host. <laughs> Maybe I'll find somebody to oppress or find somebody to possess. Tarot cards. New Age crystals. Gang paraphernalia. Red, blue bandanas, Crips bloods, whatever. <laughs> Books, DVDs, CDs that are not godly. If you, if you women have any Fifty Shades of Grey novels, burn them. If you guys have any Harry Potter books, burn them. Oh, well, that's just entertainment. Bullcrap. It's witchcraft. It's promoting witchcraft, wizardry. The Bible talks about wizardry, necromancy. Talks about those things in the Bible and prohibits them. Oh, it's just entertainment. I guarantee you it's not. Drug paraphernalia. Crack pipes, roach clips. Forgive me, but S&M sex toys. That's not love, that's lust. That's not, pain is not love. That is satanic, that is demonic. If you derive pleasure from pain, something is seriously wrong with you. You either need an exorcism or you need a psychiatrist. LBGTQ flags and paraphernalia. I guarantee that will attract a certain kind of spirit. And if you have them or have somebody living in your home that has them, if your teenager has drug paraphernalia, new age crap, LBGTQ stuff, pornography, that is your house. And as long as they live under your house, under your roof, it's your rules. Their room is not their property. They do not pay rent. Their room, they do not own their room. That is your house. You have a right to know what's in their room. And if they have something that's not there, you lovingly say, look. As long as you live here, you've got to live by my rules. Now, when you get out on your own, you can do and have whatever you want in your house. But this is my house, and this house belongs to God. And we don't have these things in my house. These things are not good for you. They're sending you down on a wrong path, and I love you enough to tell you that. So you're going to have to remove these items, or I will remove them for you. Well, I'll call social services. Here, I'll dial the number for you.
but I don't want to lose my child. They don't want to leave your home. They think they do. They want to get you back and scare you. It's leverage. They're just going to try to scare you and so they can get their way. But I guarantee you, they go to somebody else's house, live somebody else. They're not going to like it too well. I want mommy and daddy. That's usually 99% of the time. That's what happens. And you just can't be afraid of threats like that. Because you're using fear to cause you to compromise and to live ungodly. And you're going to be paying for that. Not only you're going to be paying for that, your whole household, your whole family is because you're inviting demons into your home by having these objects in your house. I might be stepping on some toes here, but Freemasonry paraphernalia. Well, they're Christian. Yeah, they look like that on the surface. So do Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. They look like Christians on the surfaces, but they're not. If you do your homework and do your study, you will find that Freemasonry is anything but Christian. Other secret society paraphernalia, skull and bones, the Illuminati, whatever. Other pagan religious paraphernalia. You know, like what's really popular right now is Wicca or, you know, Viking stuff, Thor. You know, some people wear Thor hammer necklaces. That's not just innocent. That's not just a fashion statement. That's inviting demonic entities to mess with you and to harass you. Now, we're going to see what happens in the Word of God when paganism comes to God's own temple. Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 8. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, I was sitting in my house, and the elders of Judah were sitting in front of me. And there the hand of the Lord came down on me. And I looked, and there was someone who looked like a man. From what seems to be from the waist down was fire, and from his waist up, something that looked bright like gleaning amber. Ooh, I wonder who that could be. Who was that? That was Christ, pre-incarnate. That was Yeshua before he was born through Mary. It was the, you know, uh, sometimes it's called the angel of the Lord. Because we see him looking just like this in Revelation. Do we not? And it says, he stretched out what appeared to be a hand and took me by the hair of my head. Then the spirit lifted me up between heaven, uh, between earth and heaven and carried me in a vision of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the, ent uh, of the inner gate that faces north, where the offensive statue that provokes jealousy is located. There was a pagan statue in God's temple. This wasn't the first time or the last time that it would happen. In the book of Maccabees, we see uh, Antiochus Epiphanes put up a statue of Zeus with his face on it, basically claiming deity, and he polluted the temple. Not only that, they went so far as to sacrifice a pig on the altar. I saw the glory of the God of Israel there like the vision I had seen on the plain. The Lord said to me, Son of man, look towards the north. I looked to the north, and there was an offensive statue north of the altar gate at the entrance. He said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing here? More detestable acts that the house of Israel is committing so that I must depart from my sanctuary. You bring cursed objects, pagan offensive objects that attracts demons into your home. The Lord will say, I get the hint. I'm not welcome here. I'm not going to be anywhere that I'm not welcome. And he's going to leave. How do I know this? Because he left the temple for the exact same thing. That was his temple. That was his house. And Israel kicked him out because of the crap they brought into the temple. 
You won't believe what else they were doing in the temple. So it says, the Lord said to me, son of man, look towards the north. I looked to the north and there was the offensive statue north of the altar at the entrance. He said to me, son of man, do you see what they're doing here? More detestable acts in the house of Israel is committing so that I must depart from my sanctuary. You will see even more detestable acts. If this statue wasn't bad enough, verse seven, then he brought me to the entrance of the court. And when I looked, there was a hole in the wall. He said to me, son of man, dig through the wall. So I dug through the wall and discovered a doorway. And he said to me, go and see the detestable, wicked acts they're committing here. Now, mind you, this is the temple of God, the one that, you know, I mean, Solomon built one, Herod would, would build one later for, for Israel, but this was the temple of God. I went in and looked, and there was engraved all around the walls, every kind of abhorrent thing, crawling creature and beast, as well as, as all the idols of the house of Israel. In God's temple, they were secretly worshiping other gods. The priesthood itself, the Levites themselves, and the nobles of Israel were secretly worshiping pagan gods, demonic entities, fallen angels. I mean, what if you go into a church and went in the basement and discovered a pentagram and black candles on the floor? It's the same thing. It would be like going into a, a Baptist church and finding a satanic coven holding, uh, you know, rituals in their basement. Seventy elders from the house of Israel were standing before them. And Zahazena, son of uh, Shaphan, standing among them. Each had a fire pan in his hand, and a fragrant cloud of incense was rising. They were offering incense to these idols. He said to me, Son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in darkness, each at the shrine of his idol? For they are saying, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has abandoned the land. Well, duh! Why do you think he's abandoned the land? Look what you're doing. You ran him out. Do you think God is going to be in our public schools when we say, no, we don't want Bibles, we want dildos? No, we don't want Bibles. We want to teach little kindergartners how to have anal and oral sex. Do you think God's going to stick around a public school when we bring in that crap? Of course not. He's gone. We kicked him out of schools. Recently, we've kicked him out of prisons. We've kicked him out of hotels. There's no more, there's no more Gideon Bibles in most hotels. There's no chaplaincy going to visit the prisons anymore. Again, he said to me, you will see even more detestable acts they are committing. Oh my gosh, if a statue wasn't bad enough and all the idols in this secret place in the temple and the incense offered to them wasn't enough, you say that there's more detestable acts? Verse 14, then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the Lord's house and I saw women weeping, sitting there weeping for Tammuz. Who was Tammuz? Tammuz was the son of Ishtar and the son of um, Baal. And he decided to go out boar hunting one day. And so he goes out boar hunting and he's not very successful because the boar he thinks he's going to catch actually catches him and gores him to death. And Tammuz dies, but somehow is miraculously resurrected. Oh, gee, where have we heard that before? And do you know how the women weeping for Tammuz celebrated Tammuz? They had an early morning service for him, a vigil for him, because he was going to be resurrected. 
And then they ate a ham in commemoration, uh, kind of getting the boar back for killing him. Is this kind of sounding familiar to anybody? I'll just kind of leave it right there. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate and the house of the uh, and the Lord's house, and I saw women sitting there weeping for Tammuz. And he said to me, "Do you see this, son of man? You will see even more detestable acts than this, as if it couldn't gotten worse." So he brought me to the inner court of the Lord's the inner court of the Lord's house, the inner court, not just the outside or in the basement or on the perimeter, inside. And there were about 25 men at the entrance of the Lord's temple between the portico and the altar with their backs to the Lord's temple and their face turning towards the east. What were they doing? The scripture says they were bowing to the east and worshiping the sun. I'm speechless. They were worshiping the sun in the temple of Yahweh. They turned their backs on Yahweh to face the sun, a created object that Yahweh himself created, and they're worshiping the creation rather than the creator of that created thing. I mean, there's all kinds of paganism going on there. No wonder the temple was destroyed. No wonder Judah went off into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. No wonder. God's saying, this is all happening into my house. I'd rather tear my house down with a wrecking ball than to let this stuff continue. All right. And he said to me, do you see this son of man? Is it not enough that the house of Judah to commit the detestable acts that they are doing, that they must also fill the land with violence, repeatedly angering me, even putting the branch to, my, to their noses? Therefore, I will respond with wrath. I will not show pity or spare them. Though they call loudly in, uh, in, my heart, in my hearing, I will not listen to them. So on the surface, just to keep up appearance, they were, they were saying, oh, praise Yahweh, praise Yahweh in public. But in secret, behind closed doors, they were worshiping every other thing. That's just like our politicians today. Oh, well, let's open up Congress in prayer. It's just an act. There's very few believers in political in the political arena. It's just a show. Or when the president says, or the prime minister says, God bless our nation. God ain't going to bless our nation when they're promoting, legislating, and living like the devil. When they bring all this wokeism to our country and nations and doing the total opposite of the Judeo-Christian values of the faith, God is not going to bless the United States or Canada. Basically, it's, it's, it's a joke. It's a farce. It's a slap in the face to God. I mean, having a form of godliness, looking Christian on the surface, but denying the power thereof, doing the total opposite. They, 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 they mention God, they mention Jesus when it's convenient for them. But then they placate to the lust and the sins and the desires of the fallen people the rest of the time. So the priest failed the temple. Men, you are the priest of your home. Do not fail your temple. Do not fail your home. Now the wives may be sitting back and say, whew, boy, the spotlight's off, on, uh, off of me. No, it isn't because you are the helpmate. You are to assist your husband in the office of the priesthood. You are not the priest. He is. What he says goes because he's leading the house. But remember, whatever he does and says is going to fall in repercussion on you. So why in the heck do women want to wear the pants in the family? 
They're inviting, they're inviting criticism. They're inviting destruction. Because uh, us guys, okay, God, we're the heads. We don't really like it. We don't want to screw up. That's a lot of weight on our shoulders because we've got to say and do the right things and make the right decisions for our family as priests because what we say affects our wife and our children. So men, you are the priest of your home. And if you're not married, you are the priest of wherever you're living, whether it's an apartment, whether it's a rented room. That is your domain. You have responsibility over that. Don't you dare bring anything into it that's going to compromise the sanctity of where you live. That's going to compromise your relationship with God. That's going to invite a demonic entity or a curse into your home. It can come through your television. It can come through your computer. It can come through your MP3 player. It can come through your phone. It can come through the mail. It can come through a lot of ways. It can come through somebody visiting your house and leaving something behind you don't want left behind. So the priests failed in the temple, as we see in Ezekiel chapter 8. They were basically a bunch of Satanists running the temple. No wonder God destroyed it. Don't let God destroy your home because you fail to be a godly man, a godly priest of your home. Because you're scared and you want to compromise because you don't want to rock the boat. Now, you've got to be a loving priest of your home. You don't have to go in there all gangbusters and say, well, we're not going to have any of this in our house and start ripping out posters and throwing books out and everything. You're not going to win your children over that way. Just set them down and say, you know what? I love God above all, and it's God whom I serve. And this house and this family has been dedicated to God. You are my responsibility. And as long as you're under my roof, I'm going to be doing what is best for you. I'm going to be doing what pleases God, and it may not be what's pleasing to you. So when you're on your own, you have the right to choose and do whatever you want. But as long as you're here, I'm going to have to make these choices for you. So you're going to take those posters of those rock groups or those rappers off of your wall. You're going to take that LBGTQ flag off your wall. You're going to get rid of that dragon with the crystal in his mouth that's sitting on your shelf. You're not going to have these certain video games. You're going to have these certain magazines or these certain books or these certain DVDs. But, 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 everybody, but, but, dad, but, but, everybody. I don't care about everybody. I care about you. When you're on your own, you can do whatever you want. But for now, this is the way it's going to be. Now, some of the biblical characters we look up to, because they failed to be the priest of their home, lost their children as a result. Aaron did not uh, 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 sufficiently warn his sons. They meant well in trying to worship the Lord, but they offered strange fire and were killed immediately. Leviticus chapter 10. Nadab and Abihu. Because Aaron, lo Aaron lost his sons because he failed to be the priest of the home. David lost his sons in 2 Samuel chapter 13 because he failed to be the priest of the home. Because Amnon raped Tamar, he, did, he got angry, but he didn't do anything about the situation. So Amnon's brother assassinated him about a year or so later. And then the sword never left David's house. David lost his sons because he failed to be the priest of the home. I'm afraid of what my boys will say. I'm afraid of what my boys will think. I'm afraid of what Israel will think if they find out about this. Eli lost his sons. They were no good, dirty, rotten scoundrels, just about as good as the priests we find in Ezekiel chapter 8. They were sleeping with the women that were working at the temple, and they were taking inappropriate sacrifices. And Eli lost his sons because he failed. He gave him a good la a tongue lash and a good talking to, but he didn't do anything to rectify the situation. Talk is cheap. Actions speak louder than words. 
do you really want to invite destruction not only on your home but in your christian community because of some secret private sin that you may have the word says confess your faults one to another find somebody that you can trust that you can be accountable to and say look i'm having a problem with this maybe it's drugs maybe it's alcohol maybe it's gambling maybe it's pornography maybe it's gossiping maybe you have homosexual lesbian tendencies whatever you need to find somebody that uh, in in our christian community that you can trust and say look i need help with this can you pray with me can i be accountable to you can you lead me in the right direction so i can get help for this i guarantee you none of us here is going to throw you under the bus or judge you i mean i've come to uh, uh, several people and like you've heard me say before when i've screwed up i say hey i did this this week you know or hey i should have did done this but i didn't you know whether it's a sin of omission or a sin of commission you know i'll do my best to confess it and if it's something you know too personal i have accountability partners you know stuff that really doesn't have any business being out in the public dirty laundry i tell my accountability partners and they keep me on the straight and narrow so it's springtime spring cleaning our houses deep cleaning our houses don't you think it's worthwhile to do this spiritually too go into your home and evaluate your home you know evaluate evaluate your space and say lord is there anything here that displeases you is there anything here that's inviting unwelcome spirits into this house show me and i'll get rid of it and you may even have to take your kids out and sit down hey we're having a family meeting this is what we're going to do they probably won't like it they'll moan and bellyache and what have you but you are responsible for what goes on in your house and if something bad comes into your house it's nobody's fault but your own because you are the priest of the home you're the head of the home so just remember that litany of list of things that attract do you understand how they attract demonic entities? Because they're kind of attached to that. But you know what happens when you bring godly things into your house? Let's say you predominantly have godly things in your house. And maybe something by mistake or happenstance that's cursed or that's demonic uh, or attracts the demonic comes into your house. Then what happens? Okay, I'm going to finish with 2 Samuel. Oh, I love this story. 2 Samuel, or no, it's 1 Samuel. I'm like a doctor. I can't even write and read my own chicken scratch. Okay, so 1 Samuel, chapter 5. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God. Now, the Ark of God contained the Ten Commandments. It contained the jar of manna, Aaron's rod that budded. The Ark of God was the throne of God on earth. So it's basically, you know, God's seat. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod and brought it into the temple of Dagon. Dagon was a pretty big deal. He was the god of the Philistines. He was this half man, half fish. And so it says they brought it in, they brought the Ark of God into the temple of Dagon and placed it next to his statue. Basically, it was a trophy saying, Dagon, you are so great. We were able to take Israel's most prized religious uh, possession, the Ark of God. That means their God is weak and not as strong as you because we captured it. So this is a trophy. This is an offering to you, Dagon. You're so great. Verse 3, when the people at Ashdod got up early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen with his face to the ground before the Ark of God, before the Ark of the Lord. The Ark of God entered a pagan temple, and the pagan God fell before the Ark of God. 
Dagon was recognizing Yahweh as superior to him, falling down in worship to him. So if, if you have godly things in your house and something inadvertently comes in, that object or that thing is going to have to recognize the supremacy of God. What happened when Jesus walked into the scene on, in demonic places? Those demonic people come running, gangbuster to Yeshua, falling down saying, we know that you're the son of God. Don't torment us before the time. Have mercy upon us. Those demons inside those people recognize the supremacy and the authority of Yeshua, and they bow down before him begging for mercy. So it says, when the people got up early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen with his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and returned him to his place. Oh, well, maybe there was a tremor last night, or maybe a strong wind blew, or maybe he wasn't setting totally firm on the pedestal, and, you know, no big deal, he fell, that happens. But when they got up early the next morning, there was Dagon falling with his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. This time, Dagon's head and both his hands were broken off, lying on the threshold. That's no coincidence. Only Dagon's torso remained. That is why still today the priest of Dagon and everyone who enters the temple of Dagon in Ashdod do not step on Dagon's threshold. So that's the difference between having cursed things in your home and having predominantly godly things in your home. Do you guys understand? Am I sounding like weird and wacky and, or am I making sense to you all? I got something to say real quick. When I was in the house and I'll say, and we had like 20 guys that were following the book. Yeah. And somebody came in that was like not like following. Uh huh. He, it was even the three or four of them were like kind of, as long as there was 20, as long as there was more uh, people for the Lord than there was for, they, they would just be like, I don't like to leave. They, they would either fall in line with God or they would leave. Right. It's awesome. What, what's that quote where somebody says that? Uh, you know, uh, something about because you're godly, it's going to irritate other people's demons or something like that. Yeah. 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 Now, it, that kind of reminds me of uh, when I was in Bible college in Nashville. Sometimes uh, us guys would kind of go downtown and kind of explore downtown or whatnot. And there was this uh, woman set up a table outside of a store, and she was doing tarot card readings and palm readings and fortune telling and stuff like that. So we did a little experiment. A group of us guys said, we're going to go and just stand beside her table, and we're going to silently pray. And we did, and she was screwing up, flubbing up, you know, jibber-jabbering, not making any sense and everything. And she stopped. She turned over and looked at that group of guys and said, you're going to have to leave because you're disturbing me because, like, I can't channel with you there. Pretty powerful, huh? When godly men and women step in and take authority in a place, what great things can happen. But if you take something that's been banned, something that's cursed, and you willingly bring it into your home, and even sometimes unwillingly, destructive things can happen, and it's nobody's fault but your own. So we need to do some spiritual spring cleaning in ourselves and in our house. Lord, reveal to me if there's any wicked way in me. Bring me to that point of repentance. I want to be pure and clean before you. Because as individuals and as our homes and as a community, we're not going to be successful in evangelizing Plasterock if, if we're like Aiken and there's somebody who's got sin in the camp. Because what I say and what I do affect you and vice versa. So we all got to be in community with one another. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, close in a word of prayer. Lord, this was another hard one to preach. And 
may have stepped on some toes, but I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would really convict and really open up the hearts and minds and eyes of the people here right now and those who will be listening later online and really show them if there's anything in their home, whether through themselves or through their children or grandchildren, that are like neon signs, welcoming, inviting fallen entities to come and, and take, take, uh, take up residence. Lord, we don't want that in our homes or in our lives. Show us what those things are so we can renounce them, recognize, rebuke them, and cast them out and uh, 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 you know just throw them away uh, so that our homes, as they are temples for you, dedicated to you and to your service, and as husbands are the priests of the home and the wives are the helpmate to the priests of the home, we want our homes to be glorifying and sanctified for you and for your purpose. And Lord, we ask and pray these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you do find a cursed item, I'm telling you, throw that thing away or burn it in the next campfire you have. Do not donate it to charity. Do not donate it to the Legion or to the Salvation Army or to Value Village. Do not sell it in the yard sale. Why would you want somebody else to have a cursed item? Just for a few bucks? And you're not being charitable to anybody if you're <coughs> handing an object that's going to bring a demon into their life. So take that object, burn it, destroy it. Even in the Bible, it talks about how there was a bunch of uh, 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 scrolls, a bunch of pagan books that were burned in the New Testament because people were being converted. And I remember back in the day, during the satanic panic of the late 70s and early 80s, people were burning like satanic records and Ouija boards and all this kind of stuff. We need to get back to that. Uh, you know, getting rid of that stuff. You know, and if you're, if you're watching or subscribing to something, that you shouldn't be watching, and you're compromising. Man, just cancel that subscription. You know, get off that social media platform if you can't handle it, because you don't want those things influencing your life. You don't want to compromise in any way. All right, guys, thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. Good night. God bless.